0: We all know this gospel, its many parts well. Of course, the second part, the story of the prodigal son. Just reflecting on it, I pose you the question: You can answer it in your own mind right now. Who would you say is the biggest loser of this parable? You got the father, and you got two sons, right? I think instinctively, and rightly so, many of us go to that elder son, right—the one that was jealous and resentful. But actually, I wager the biggest loser of this parable is actually the fattened calf. Right? And, uh, no one ever thinks about that calf, right? Just enjoying its life, eating grass, no one's asking for a feast. And all of a sudden, the guy who thought he was, was gone, you know, returns, right? The fattened calf. But the opening line um, of this gospel is one that truly stays with me. It says, tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to listen to Jesus. They were all drawing near. Sometimes we feel the weight, the onus on us uh, to do this or that, to fit in, to belong, uh, to become holy, to say that extra prayer so you can get a little bit more grace, your prayers could be answered, even become the change in the world, the good for the church, that it's our responsibility to draw near to him. And in this, eventually, happens one way or the other, uh, we become and feel dejected, we feel weak, have a sense of desperation, because the hard truth is that we can't draw near to him of our own volition. Right? And thinking that we can draw near by our own will, our own power, right? it's a false belief. Right? We could only draw near to him insofar as he allows us to, as he gives us the grace, the power to, realizing that it is actually him through that that actually draws near to us. Him who makes the first, the unfailing, the unceasing move. It was God who first loved Adam. It wasn't Adam who first loved God. But this drawing near, I'd like to examine and kind of extract from it a little bit more, primarily with our our gospel today, the second portion, the prodigal son. We could say both sons were near to his father. But I think we're also safe to say that it was only a nearness of physicality. But nonetheless, despite that nearness of just physicality, uh, their father's love for them never changed. It had only grown since their very conception, even before they were conceived. Always near was he to his sons. Yet despite this nearness, this outpouring of his love, this self-gift, this intimacy for them, they were far from him. They were far from him, they who shared a home with him, who shared a table, who shared DNA and blood. They who would have likely walked together to the local synagogue on the Sabbath, they who went to, you know, quote-unquote church together, their hearts, though physically close, were so unbelievably far from one another. While one reaches out unceasingly, the others just further and further reject and retreat. Right, and from this retreat, we see the effects. You know, one have we can maybe even call it the courage, uh, to actively insult his father. Taking leave with his inheritance, living a life of dissipation, searching for something of value that he didn't think he had there. While the other one, he passively insults his father by the hypocrisy of remaining physically near to him, yet just as far, if not, I think, farther uh, than the brother who actually left. But even in this rejection of his sons, he never stopped loving. Uh, even when he had the right to, he was justified. Uh, the heart of the father never ceased drawing near to them right? and how it must have pained him that it was rejected. And here in the story, I'd like to pause for a moment and invite you um, into it. Right? You could use your imagination if you want, put yourself in your story, use your own name, your own you know, personality. And or if you want, you could put yourself in the son's shoes. You who call him father and are his son or, or daughter You who are a member of his family, who go to church with him every Sunday, who share the same roof, share and eat at his same table. You who are physically close to your father. To ask yourself in your heart, even despite that closeness, what do you still hold back from him? Where do you retreat in your heart? Where do you retreat in your mind from him? Where do you try to search for value Outside of him. Where do you not let him draw near? Whether it's to some hurt, some suffering, perhaps it's an unfulfilled desire or need you have. Some memory or sin. Ask ourselves these questions and answer them honestly is precisely where this story turns. Where there's hope. That the son who left, he asks himself these questions and begins to answer them. He realizes where he is. He wakes up to his reality, and again, not the reality of physically, geographically where he is, about to eat from a trough with some pigs, right? but to the actual state of his heart. Right? He allows himself to feel. He allows himself to experience his pain, his emptiness, his needs, his desires. And in this authentic living, as you know, dark as it may seem, it's realized that it's only then that the Father's love is able to penetrate his heart. The father who is hundreds of miles away in a distant country which he left, his love is able to touch him now. Realizing that the father has been near to him this entire time and has never ceased loving him. And from this, uh, things begin to happen quickly. Remoteness and rejection turn to a nearness and a closeness of embrace. So we go back to the Gospel, Gospel of Luke. It says he got up and went back to his father. So got up meant he was down, right? He was, he was curled up. If you think in your minds of a, you know, like a, what do you call those objects on top of Notre Dame? They're not goblins. They're gargoyles, thank you. I knew it was something close to that, right? <laughs> gargoyles, it's a symbol of our sin, of being in the world, of, of being totally closed in on ourselves. And then conversely, when you go into like St. Peter's Basilica or into any church, you see the saints, right? Strong, standing tall, right? So it says he got up, a symbol of a future resurrection on the horizon. Of forgiveness. And while he was still a long way off, his father caught sight of him. In other words, it was his father who was watching. It's his father who was waiting, keeping his eyes on the horizon, seeing if his son would rise. And it says he was filled, the father was filled with compassion. That word in Greek, it's it's called splagnizomai, which occurs many other places in the gospel, oftentimes with Jesus. It means such an interior movement That our interior organs are themselves animated, are contorted, are are kind of wrung. So it says he was filled with compassion. He ran to his son, he embraced him, and he kissed him. So even in the son's drawing near, it's the father that makes the first move. It's he who runs, embraces, and kisses. And in this, we see Jesus, God who ran to us incarnate in his son, Jesus, who was so moved with us black Nitzibai, that he was filled with compassion to just embrace us. Right, so brothers and sisters, these sons, they're symbolic of you and me. They re- represent all the children of God fallen away from him, searching for value, away. And thinking back to that opening line of this gospel, it said tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to listen to Jesus. That the Lord wants you to know today that he has first loved you and he is unceasingly drawing near to you, right? Near to those places that you may not want him to go or think he can encounter. It's the start of that line tax collectors and sinners, he doesn't go to the righteous, he goes to those that need him. So, what's our call? If I could sum it up in a short little phrase, it's, it's to be real, to ask those questions in our heart honestly, to examine ourselves and where we see some deficiency, where we see hurt or emptiness or desire, to allow him to run there, to embrace us there, to kiss us there, and then to throw you the best feast that you have ever seen, one in which we will partake of in just a few moments.